Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey guys, and welcome back into another edition of the WFNZ March Madness Show. I am your host, Josh Marlowe. Alongside me, as always, for the tournament is Anthony Pagnata. You know us, though, more by our nicknames at the station here. I'm Fitty. He is Flounder, and we are here to recap the second weekend of the tournament as the Sweet 16 and the and the Elite Eight games have commenced and the 2023 Final Four is set, and do we have as wild a Final Four as we have ever had um, in the history of the NCAA tournament as the four teams that did emerge um, from their respective regions. The four-seed UConn, they won the West. The five-seed, the Miami Hurricanes, they won the Midwest. Then you had San Diego State winning the East, and then you had Florida Atlantic winning... The South region, and you know, th- I think the thing is, is that we knew after the the weekend of upsets that we had in the first weekend of the tournament that you, you you know maybe you had a chance for more upsets and more Cinderellas to come out and, and make the Final Four. And I don't think I I don't consider San Diego State a Cinderella. I mean, they're a five seed. This is a program that is pretty familiar going to the NCAA tournament. Um, FAU, their record doesn't scream Cinderella, but when you look at just the the history and the track record of that program, this this, this you know they certainly do qualify as Cinderella. Miami, this is their first ever Final Four, and then UConn, uh, the the one known you know program commodity in college basketball advancing back to the Final Four, back to a site where they have won a national championship in the past. And so when you look at the four teams that that have made the Final Four here, and we will go through each region and break down all the action from this weekend, but when you look at when you look at the four teams that have emerged, and this is as wacky a Final Four as I think we've ever had, I know I know especially in our lifetime, does this qualify for the wildest March Madness we've ever seen? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, this is th- this is the tournament of upsets if we've ever seen it. We we have you know we've had some tournaments in recent years where we've sort of brought that up of hey you know this is a tournament that's seen a lot of surprises. But this one, this one might be a, a whole class of its own because every time that you think we we thought with this this weekend, okay, we'll get a little bit of normalcy, right? Like if Kansas State ends up emerging, if Creighton ends up emerging, Connecticut and Texas, okay, you're talking about a Texas team that won the Big Twelve that a lot of people regarded very highly in the preseason. You're talking about a Connecticut team that at one time during the year was seen as probably the nation's best team because of of how they started. And you would be talking about a Creighton team that the reason that they were struggling the way that they were was because of all the injuries that they had suffered early in the season. And then you would have Kansas State, who did some really good things throughout the year. That's probably the one that in the preseason you would not have seen anybody 
possibly guess. But this one now is just complete chaos. Because, I mean, just you can look at my bracket, and I don't think, I think you had, you had Florida Atlantic winning in the first round, I believe, right? No, I had Memphis. You had Memphis? So both of us had two of the teams that are in the Final Four. Interestingly enough, they will match up with each other. We had both of those teams getting eliminated in the first game that they played in, in yep. the tournament. <laughs> and now we sit here, and these teams are going to play for the right to go to the national championship game. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, there is no tournament that I can ever remember that has been like this. And people are saying, well, we've seen this more and more throughout the years. I get it. Last year, Carolina was an eight seed, but... I forget what the exact number, I think it was five. Somebody put this out yesterday that the last five national champions had been one seeds. So, yes, there had been some chaos in these tournaments. You've been starting to see, we, you know, we talked about it with Princeton, that they were the third straight 15 seed to advance to the second weekend of the tournament. Or I should say it's the third straight year that that has happened. But, I mean, this is just, this is a whole nother level. The fact that you have a team in Florida Atlantic that comes out of the Conference USA, that's a conference that hasn't been relevant really since their heydays when they had um, you know some really heavy hitters in that conference. You're talking about the Mountain West Conference, which was a complete laughingstock heading into this tournament. They had not won a tournament game since 2018. And now they've got a team playing in the Final Four. You've got a UConn team who had been relatively dormant since the run that Kevin Ollie had them on, um, where he won the national championship, and we all know what happened after that. And you've got a Miami team that, look, they got to the Elite Eight last year, but I think a lot of people were wondering, was that kind of the peak of their run? with Jim Laranega as their head coach. They thought, okay, maybe they can get back there. I actually had that team getting beat. So three of the four teams that are in the Final Four, I had getting beat in their first game in this tournament. I mean, it's just, you, you, it's, it's insanity. But to be honest with you, to me, I wouldn't want anything different with this tournament. I think it has been phenomenal, and I think it shows the value of the NCAA tournament. It shows why this is such a great postseason, because you ain't getting this in any other sport. Not even close. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, is that um, as 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 a college basketball, like the thing I love about this Final Four, as a college basketball diehard, I love this. Because as much as the people that only watch this sport for three weeks will say this isn't good for the sport, no, this is really great for the sport. Because you have you 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 still have your, you know, premier program. I don't consider Connecticut a blue blood, but I do consider them a premier program in the sport. I mean, they gotta be they gotta be right there in terms of teams that aren't considered blue bloods but are probably right in that next tier, right? They might lead that next group. Yeah, it's either them or Nova. Then you've got a San Diego State program that for the last decade or so has been a consistent tournament 
uh, attendee. Then you've got a Miami team in the ACC that I think you can safely say, more rightfully so, more so than Florida State, has has joined the top echelon programs in the ACC, back-to-back Elite Eight appearances, now a Final Four for that program. And then you got FAU. Like, what this is going to do for that university. I mean, I saw a stat today for these types of schools when they make a Final Four run, what that does for their enrollment and how it increases by some 30% in a five-year period. What, what that's, what, what's that going to do for a financial standpoint for that university? Will be life-changing. The money that they get for the next six years off of this tournament around alone uh, loan will change that 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 program and that and that whole entire athletic department's outlook for the next decade or so so as a college basketball junkie I love this then as a guy that was tuning in because I want to watch the sport and my team wasn't in it this is fantastic because all I went into this tournament was when I removed being disappointed that the Tar Heels didn't make it was entertain me for three weekends I want to be entertained. And since I cut on the tournament on that Thursday at 12 o'clock until now, and when I cut on the Final Four Saturday, and when I cut on the national title game a week from today, I know I'm going to be entertained because these games have been absolutely fantastic. There has been great competition. You have seen different styles of basketball. You've seen great coaching. You've seen just a lot of what this tournament is supposed to be about because you've got your hot teams kind of that that's what San Diego State, that's what Connecticut, of course FAU because they were just so dominant in the regular season. Then you see teams that maybe enter the tournament feeling disrespected. That's a Miami team that was a 5 seed and no one wanted to call them an underseeded a team until they were kicking Houston's butt. Then all of a sudden, oh, this team was misseeded. Well, we all told you that back on Selection Sunday, and then we outlined that here on the when we when we previewed the bracket, really just identifying how poorly seeded this field was. And so when 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 I look at this Final Four, you, you know, and look, a lot of the attention is going to be on that Miami UConn game. It's going to be it's going to be called oh, yeah. and labeled the de facto national title game. The belief is that whoever wins that game will cut down the nets on Monday night. I look at the Final Four and say, as a junkie, I love this. Then as a casual watcher, I love this because Dude, this I have been entertained. Pounding. This is table pounding good, apparently. Yeah, I mean, this has just been... Man. I, I have watched this tournament in depth for 15 years. And this is the best tournament I've ever watched. Well, I mean, look, I definitely think it's different from from our perspective because, yeah, we, we always have been watching it as fans, you know, the last, what, five years we've been watching it as not only fans, but guys that are writing about it, doing a podcast about it from a Tar Heel perspective. So you always, like, the games are always entertaining. But then, like I mentioned, you have windows of time until Carolina is eliminated where you pretty much are just watching your team. And you have the nerves that are associated with it. I mean, there's certain times where, yeah, especially once you start getting into that second weekend, if Carolina is still there or your team is still there, if you're a Duke fan or if you're a state fan, you you don't even – do you really even watch the other games? Like, you do. They're on, but you're kind of thinking about your own game. You're kind of – trying to figure out how can you how the team can win and then you know if you do end up winning 
later in the day, you might be thinking about your next opponent, or you could be thinking about what went wrong in the game if you end up exiting. So this was a really, this was a completely different experience this year. Part of me loved it. Part of me, of course, hated it because you. Would, I would love to have seen Carolina in this tournament. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of just the overall unpredictability, it, it's been it, it's been ridiculous. Like, every time that you think, like I said, I, I, I really thought going in that there was a good chance that I knew what the Final Four was going to be the other night when we sat down to watch the Elite Eight games. And we came out with three teams that I did not think would be there. Not 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 saying that I didn't think these teams had any chance to, or, you know, didn't have any chance to be there. I just, I really thought that it was relatively cut and dry that those were the teams that would emerge, that the Cinderella's, you know, not not necessarily the Cinderellas, but the teams that you thought were going to get beat somewhere along the way were going to get beat, and that didn't happen. And now we're sitting with one of the wildest Final Fours that you will ever see, but one that I think could produce a lot of really good entertainment. I'm in the camp of what you talked about. I do really think that whoever wins the game between UConn and Miami probably does win the national championship. I think it depends on which team comes out, though. I think if it's Miami, you could see a pretty good game on the other side. I'm of the opinion, and we'll get more into this whenever we are you know, breaking down these games later in the week. I think the way that Connecticut is playing right now, I find it far-fetched to believe that any team... If they beat Miami, that either one of those two teams on the other side will find a way to beat them. I just, I don't, that the way that team's playing, man, that looks like the team we saw early in the year where we really thought this is head and shoulders the best team in the country above everybody else. The, the, the other discussion that's really come out with the Final Four set is, is this the norm of the tournament? And I think the answer, I think the answer is still no. Um, you know, just a year ago in the new era of college athletics with the transfer portal and NIL, you had a blue blood final four. Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Villanova all all made it there. Yep. I, I think I think what this year really highlighted is the parity in the sport. And I said entering the field, there were thirty teams that could win a national championship. Nobody wanted to believe that. Um, but you've got you've got a five seed. I mean, you, you don't have any of your top any any of your top three seeded teams in the field. You've got a four, you've got you've got a five, you've got a five, and you've got a nine. So yeah, yeah. entering this thing, I said thirty teams could win it. That was proven. You right. may have been. You may have been off. And, there might have been about forty. And so, uh, what I think it, what I think it really showed was the parity that exists in college basketball. Um, there's not another sport with with more parity than college basketball and college athletics, and it's right up there with the NFL, where the NFL was an eight and eight league, and kind of what separates it is quarterbacks and college basketball most team most teams are kind of similar the things that separated are usually guard play and coaching and the thing about all four of these teams that are left they all have great guards and and they they all have they all have great coaches 
And so when when I look at it and say, do I think this is the norm for the tournament moving forward? Absolutely not. I don't think so. I, I think most years you're going to have your best teams rise to the rise to the top and advance to the Final Four. But if this is what we get for the next three, five, ten years, I'm also not going to complain. As a guy well, I'd that like understands, to see, I'd like to see my team in there a little I, bit more. You know, that'd be nice. As a guy that under that that understands the value of how important their blue bloods are to their sport, there isn't a sport that needs it tra- its its traditional programs good than college basketball because the interest just isn't there on on the national level. Because even though its tournament is the highest grossing uh, event in the country, we don't value its regular season. But and so. This still works because people are still watching, people are still tuning in, and so if 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 I gotta go through a couple of off the wall Final Fours, man, I'm here for it because the stories of Butler and Wichita State and Loyola Chicago and now Florida Atlantic, George Mason, those stories never get old, and I'm always here to listen, watch, and learn about these teams as they make as they make life-changing runs both for themselves individually, their programs, and their universities as a whole. I think the point that you made right out of the gate is the biggest reason why this panic is just stupidity because there are people that are saying this. Now most of the people that say this probably don't follow college basketball all that much because they do forget that, yeah, last year, and what they'll say is, well, you know, North Carolina was an eight seed. Doesn't matter. The fact that you had North Carolina and Duke meeting in a Final Four, along with Kansas and Villanova on the other side, you know, three legendary programs and a team in Villanova that was probably the team of the decade this, you know, in, in the 2010s. I mean, how much more could you really want? But then you follow that up with a year like this where there is just extreme chaos. And I'm going to tell you, you have a problem with this. The thing that you should have the biggest issue with is the metrics and the fact that this was how this tournament field was seeded because it shows, as you mentioned, Miami probably should have been a higher seed. Uh, Connecticut definitely should have been higher seeded than they were and you could also make the argument for FAU team that have three losses the entire season they actually entered this weekend regardless of what happened they would have won the most games of anybody in the country even if any of the other teams were to win out and win the national championship so that's who you should be having an issue with this is one of those things where it's it's a year of chaos, and we've seen it in other sports before. We've seen wild card teams make runs to, you know, play in in Super Bowls and play in championships. We've seen other chaos. It's just with these, there's a numerical value that is put next to their names, and people think that this is a huge deal. I'm going to tell you, next year you could come out and we could have all one seats. Then what are you going to do? Then you're going to say there's not enough parity in the sport, right? I feel like we're just in an overreactive sports time where anytime something happens, they automatically have to worry about the worst thing. We've seen it in baseball. Remember a few years ago, there was a time where they were hitting too many home runs. So then the pitchers adjust. Well, then there's a point where, oh, the pitchers must be using some sort of substance because the home run numbers are down. 
That must mean that we're not doing something right. That must mean guys are cheating. It's There's always these overreactions now where it's like, hey, just let it play out. This is sports. Some years there's going to be chaos. Other years it's going to be chalky. And I think, here's my thing. Are you, are you not entertained? Have you not been each of the last two years? Because I've been entertained both times. I think both tournaments have been tremendous. One that had, you know, a, a historic feel to it in the sense of the teams that made the Final Four being legendary programs. And this year where you got teams that are pretty much a lot of first-timers and a team in Connecticut that have been dormant for a while. The stage has been set. The Final Four field is set and ready to go this Thursday or this Saturday in Houston. We come back. We'll tell you how how we got there. We'll take a look at the South and the East regions, recap those Sweet 16 and Elite 8 matchups, all that and more. That's coming up next right here on the WFNZ March Madness Show. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back in, guys. This is the WFNZ March Madness Show. Fiddy and Flounder hanging out with you guys. We're going to go ahead and dive in here to the South region. That region, uh, that, that regional semi and final, they were played in the KFC Yum Center on the uh, on the University of Louisville uh, campus. And, you know, you go back and you look at the Sweet 16 matchups. These took place on... Um, on on Friday night, and you look at San Diego State, Bama, San Diego State emerged seventy one to sixty four, and then Creighton and and Princeton. It was a really fun first half. The level of offense that was on display was was really fun to watch. It was the highest scoring first half of the entire uh, tournament so far. So we'll focus primarily on San Diego, San Diego State, and Bama. Because I think we all expected Creighton to beat Princeton, and they did. But I don't know how many people thought San Diego State was going to beat Bama. I thought they were going to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not see them overwhelming Alabama defensively. And that's that's what they did. The way that they defended in that game was, was eye-opening because... We had seen SEC teams no not not defend nowhere near as effective as San Diego State did in this matchup. The job Brian Dutcher has done this March has been fantastic, um, and it, I think it's it, it's it's going to get highlighted this week because they're on the biggest stage in the sport. But I mean, I thought after getting into the second weekend and even this weekend, it just wasn't getting the credit that it deserved. But what they did against against that Bama team, limiting Brandon Miller, who had just a horrendous tournament. All along, handling the size and the physicality that 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 this Crimson Tide team possessed, that really opened my eyes when we got to Sunday, and, and, and I thought, man, they've they, they've really got a chance to to emerge as the regional final winner here, and if this team winds up in the final four, given the way that they beat Bama, it, it's it's going to be really hard to not 
to not predict them to make the national title game because this is as locked in and connected a defensive group that's still playing here in, in, in this year's tournament, and they've ridden that all the way to a berth in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, look, they, you know... Brandon Miller clearly being off had a, a huge effect. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you don't shoot three for 19, and your your team. Do you know is that he posted the worst individual shooting percentage in the history of the tournament for a guy that attempted. I think he attempted 64 shots. Or yeah, I mean that's that is just unbelievable. It's amazing because the way that he was playing, even after everything that 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 happened towards the end of the regular season. He was still playing at an elite level, and he ends up getting banged up a little bit during the tournament, but it was just, there never felt like there was a moment where he was able to get into a rhythm. And credit to these teams that played them, they did a heck of a job defending him, but I mean, this was just, this was a clinic. They Clearly, San Diego State's plan was to make anybody but Brandon Miller beat you in this game. And they have the guys that can play one-on-one with these guys defensively. But, I mean, you're talking about they they held Alabama to 3 of 27 from beyond the arc in yep. this game. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's my ratio on Tinder. I mean, it was just... It, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, Javon Quinterly, there was a point where, I mean, they were basically forcing him into taking every shot. He tried to take over the game, and I I think that was the point that San Diego State wanted them to get to, was just to get to a point where it was was very clear that that team was visibly frustrated. They Mm -hmm. could not do what they had done all season long, which was score at will. And they're a good defensive team, and we saw that. But during the, during their stretch, I mean, there was a key stretch in that middle of that second half where Tremel just goes off, and he he scores. I think it was like four, three or four straight baskets for them, and that was the difference in the game. Once San Diego State got the lead, and it felt like it. it I mean, we've seen. We've seen a lot of Virginia, at least regular season Virginia, where certain games, once they get the lead, you know, yeah, you ain't getting it back. And that's what it felt like with San Diego State because of how well they defended for really the entire time in this region. They had four of the best defensive games that you're going to see because the way they defended against Creighton as well, in just an absolute bloodbath, literal dudes bleeding on the floor. I mean, it's just Dutcher's crew. Man, this dude, he he wants them to be physical, and they are responding to his message about as well as any coach right now that's left in this tournament. The way you know San Diego State defended at a level that Alabama hasn't seen all year, uh, Nate Oates was asked in his postgame if his system works. A team that was the number one overall <laughs> seed that was in the Sweet 16. Oh, he was man. up there having to defend his system because they saw a team from the Mountain West, a conference that even you and I both ridiculed, you know, here on our on our shows and, and stuff like that. They saw a Mountain West no, team come on. due to them what they didn't see in the SEC. So now let's get to the regional final against w- Creighton. One last thing that I want to say about San Diego State. Make Unbelievably it quick. impressive. The fact that Matt Bradley, who's widely regarded as their best player, he had eight points the entire weekend between the two games. Still won both games. That's what defense does. When you look, though, at this regional final with Louisville, 
it sucks we got to go to this. You got to go to the controversial finish with the with the foul call that that Creighton was what was called on that put San Diego State at the line. And then of course you had the inbound pass that you know they couldn't they couldn't go they couldn't figure out who the ball should have belonged to so they went with the call on the floor which the call on the floor was the game over. And, and look, when you look at the the sequence where Creighton got the foul called on them that put San Diego State at the line for two. I yes, it was was it a foul? Yes. Mm-hmm. Am I calling that foul in that situation? I am not, and that's why I'm not an official. But here's the thing. I thought going into that game, I didn't know if San Diego State could contain Ryan Kalkbrenner. I I I I just didn't know if they could do it. And they found a way to to hold their own with him and 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 physical him. And that was the thing because him Nimhard, Shireman, it felt like every time they got the ball, they were being they were being suffocated. And they made Creighton play to their terms. And to be honest with you, I was really impressed that Creighton was able to hang in at that type of game. Because I've seen them this year get overwhelmed by the physicality. And and just by, you know, this is a team that scores 80 in its sleep. Having to play a game in the 50s, I don't think was going to lend very well to them. Well, it treated us to a, a, a great regional final. You know, the, the officiating was something that, of course, gets highlighted at the end. Ultimately, I think the way that they ended the game with, calling, with, with the call on the floor, I think was the right call. I mean, I know we got angles that said, that and because because when we got the the other angle, it was we all agreed it was San Diego State basketball. Yes, we're we gonna make them inbound the ball with point two seconds on the clock. You should. I yeah, mean, that's uh, the job that you're supposed to but, be doing. The, but uh, here's but here's the other. It's thing. literally impossible for you to doesn't matter do anything in point doesn't two matter. seconds. That's that's not up to the referees to decide that. This is the problem. This is why the referees have way too much power in these games. It is not up to you to decide that. This is also... Who do you want out there deciding it? Santa Claus? Did you hear the explanation at the end of the game or or what they released afterwards to say why they did not put the time on the clock? They went with the call on the floor. They did not. The reason that they said that was that they went back. The reason the review took so long was they were not even looking at who the ball went off of. They said apparently they knew that within the first like second that they walked over there, second or two that they walked over there. They were using a stopwatch apparently to try to time out and make sure that the person that started the clock started it at the right time. It's that a different was, issue. That was which is I don't understand how you review that. That does not make any sense to me. If you were going to review that, couldn't you then have reviewed to see if Shireman stepped over the line before he threw the ball in? Well, ultimately, I I think that's what happened. I think when they reviewed it, I think they realized there's multiple errors going on here that at this point are you can't correct them because the play's already happened. Because his foot crossed the line, so that's a violation. So, but, but if everything is reviewable, what I'm saying but it's is not. okay. Then call that. Apparently, it is though, because apparently you can go back and time the to to see if the scoreboard operator actually got it right. What has there ever been any other time that you have heard an official ever do that? I've never heard of that in my life. Now, again, look. Ultimately, that's not what that that's not. 
the reason that Creighton lost this game. Creighton lost this game because they got their ass kicked in the second half. They got bullied. Jesus. There's just no other way around it. Like, look, man, Ryan Kalkbrenner, he he, he had done some great things in this tournament. I, I this was, I mean, you look at it. He he was he was pushed around. I mean, Mensa was tremendous on him for that entire game. That dude has been tremendous defensively for this entire tournament. Mm-hmm. And you did not have the guys around them that could make shots, especially in that second half. Alexander had some really good looks that didn't go down. Nemhard had some really good looks. Shireman, everybody had an opportunity to make the big shots when they needed to. And unlike in the other games, Fort Creighton, so far in the tournament, they weren't able to do it. I agree with you. I think ultimately the foul was the right call. But I I and I hate I hate saying this cuz you know this and everybody that listens to the station probably knows this at this point. I absolutely hate Jay Wright. Cannot stand him. Jay Wright brought up a tremendous point in the post game that the way that the game had been called to that point the physicality, the amount of times that guys went to the floor with no foul call. They were calling tie-ups, timeouts, whatever. They didn't call any of those types of fouls, but then in that crucial moment, you call that. That's why you should be frustrated if you're Greg McDermott. The game was called different in the last seconds of the game than it was called for the entirety of the game. They got away with all that physicality, but in that moment, you call that. Really, here's the biggest thing. That's a coaching moment for McDermott, though. You have to tell Ryan Nemhard, dude, he beat you. If he hits that shot, whatever, live with it. The other thing, one of the other things that we won't talk about nearly as much, why Why did Creighton foul? Why, why did they foul before that? Because, because that's a that's a common practice. Okay. You see that all the time when teams but, aren't in the bonus, they foul. Oh, but that's incredibly stupid, and here's why. In I don't this, think it is. It's it's the right it's the right decision. Well, you didn't clearly you didn't know the scenario then. Remember that there was still about a three second difference between the shot clock and game clock. Yeah. When they fouled him, the shot clock then turns off. Yeah. If you would have kept that that amount of time in between there, you would have forced San Diego State into a much earlier shot. They wouldn't have been able to huddle up when they did after you fouled. I mean, look, it wasn't a full timeout, but it's still, they were able to sort of recollect themselves and get a game plan going. If you don't foul there, you probably force a much more difficult shot from San Diego State. So, in, and you've in got, hindsight, you've that got three one made seconds no sense. to get something to happen. Um, no, you're going to foul and, and instead of instead of one point two seconds. Well, I, I I think you foul because I think you're banking on your team. You're banking on your team getting a stop, and then you get a chance. Why to wouldn't you be your... able to make the stop right off? You you had your defense set because they were taking they they were looking to take pretty much the last shot of the game. Now it would have been with like three seconds. That is far much more time than one point two, which you get after you end up fouling, leading to then another foul that puts them on the free throw line. In hindsight, you probably shouldn't have fouled. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's common practice. Every team virtually in the country is going to foul. They're they're going to foul in that situation, especially when you're without when you're when you're out of timeouts. 
like Creighton was. So if you foul, guess what? It's a stoppage, just not a timeout, but that allows McDermott to get something signaled in for them to get the stop. That so does San Diego State that, though. That 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 is the right thing to do. I uh, it, it's 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 just it's it's. I, I don't agree with that well, at all. Well, you go tell three hundred and sixty three division coaches that they're wrong because every coach in that situation is going to foul. I don't think most of them would. If the, if there is a Literally difference, every coach if there is a difference between the shot clock and game clock like that. If it's under to five me, seconds, you, coaches are going to foul. No, That's, I don't think so. They just said it on the broadcast. Like, it's just general practice now where in that situation, you foul and you play for overtime. And look at how that worked out. Well, it, I mean, yeah, it didn't work out for him. It was still to the, me, you, it was still the right thing you to do. You let the players on the floor for San Diego State have to come up with something Offensively, as opposed to allowing Brian Dutcher time to set something up. Now, again, it, it wasn't a full timeout, but still, just like with Greg McDermott trying to signal something in to set his defense, it allowed San Diego State time to rethink what their plan was. I think that was, in, in that moment, probably the wrong move. Yeah, I mean, like I said, virtually every coach in every... In every situation, when you're faced with, when you're faced with that scenario, they're gonna foul. Let's move on now to the East. And at this point, I think MSG just deserves the East region because when the tournament goes there, you get great games. Their 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 Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight they fell on the Thursday Saturday draw. It started out on Thursday, um, Kansas State and Michigan State. Maybe, maybe the game of the tournament at that time. Um, the 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 <laughs> the play of the tournament is still going to be Marquise Noel or uh, Noel's uh, assist while he was fake arguing with Jerome Tang with the game tied at ninety two ninety two. Like the, this was after, which we didn't find this out actually until the Elite Eight game. He w- he looked into the stands and told Isaiah Thomas. Watch this. Yeah, which was why when they told the the crew that it wasn't a planned sequence, it was a good old fashioned fib. Because why else would you tell Isaiah Thomas to watch this if that if that wasn't planned? Yeah. Um, to 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 really bring into words how much I celebrated watching Tom Izzo get beat. I bruised my sternum at our watch party celebrating watching this jabroni go home. This is one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever heard in my life. Because, first off, I absolutely hate that guy. Um, But, my God. Oh, second off, you're also completely out of shape. That... Which is, you know... That game was... That game was fantastic. Oh, yes. That that, that game was was college basketball at its best. Michigan State did a lot of great things. You know, Hogard, you know, uh, he he did some things. He was outstanding. Um, And it was just a really fun... It was just a really fun basketball game to set up what just became a surprising night inside MSG because the team that eventually came out of this this regional uh that being Florida Atlantic well they beat Tennessee and they beat Tennessee at their own game 62 to 55 like if you would have told me that the winner of the game scored 62 points i would have told you Tennessee won and it would have been a bloodbath but instead it was Florida Atlantic winning and they won the game in a bloodbath i mean they literally had one of their guys take a take a football tackle on the court and they still oh, beat Tennessee. Man. 
Unbelievable. Good old Plopsic. I I can't even pronounce his name at that. I I, I, I call him Plotchich because that's what Plotchich. Jimmy Di- that's, that's, that's that's what, that's what Jimmy Dykes calls him. I mean, look, man, that game. We should have seen this coming with Tennessee, right? Like that looked like the team that we had seen for the majority of the second half of the season. Without the the team that didn't have Zakai Ziegler, they. Couldn't do anything offensively in that second half. I mean, look, the first half, you you were sitting there probably saying to yourself, okay, this is ugly. This is kind of what Tennessee wants. But Florida Atlantic just, I mean, doing what they've been doing this whole tournament, which is taking over in the second half of these games. And, I mean, offensively, you know, you, you just, I mean, John L. Davis just continues to make the plays that he has to make for them. Um, Micah Forrest was was tremendous as well. Um, it's just, th- this was one of those games where it felt like with Tennessee, you probably should have known that this was going to crop up at some point. They were going to play just a an ugly, ugly game. And Florida Atlantic took advantage of it. Um, they're a team that I think clearly wanted it more than Tennessee. Tennessee at times just looked completely disinterested, more interested in what uh, you saw with them just trying to intimidate Florida Atlantic with their physicality, and it didn't work. Um, we we mentioned this when we were previewing this weekend when it came to this game in particular. How would they call this weekend of the tournament as opposed to the way they called the first weekend of the tournament? The way they called the first weekend of the tournament, they let a, they let a lot of physicality go. You could kind of just play your game, and there were certain games. San Diego State, Creighton was one of them where they did let a lot go. This was not one of those games. They they officiated the game the way that they have for most of the regular season, and Tennessee had no way to respond to that. And in the end, it, it Dusty May and his guys out executed them when they needed to. Uh, Tennessee just didn't get the shooting. I mean, you look, I mean, Vescovy, 3-for-11, um, all, all three of them were from the outside. But the biggest difference in this game was Olivier Comois, 27 against Duke. He had six in this game. Yep. Made two shots the whole night. So when you don't have that type of contribution, I mean, look, Jonas Adu brought you something off the bench, but there was just not enough scoring here, which was what we thought was going to happen to Tennessee. We just thought it'd probably happen against Duke. When you look at the Elite Eight matchup where Florida Atlantic advances to the Final Four, edging uh, Kansas State 79-76, that's, is is that, that the game of the tournament then? That's probably oh. the best elite game I've watched since Kansas and Duke in 20, 2018. Yeah, and, and 2018 when Kansas beat Duke in overtime to go to the final four. Um it was a real it was a real difficult way to see Kansas State's season come to an end while they're not being able to get a shot off. The offense in that game was mesmerizing. It was it was downright sexual watching those teams okay. play offense. Okay. 
and and shoot the ball the way that they did. Um, you know, both teams, it was a game full of runs. I mean, Kansas State came out on an 8-0 run to really take control in the second half. I thought the foul call that they fouled Keontae Johnson on in the game was one of the worst calls in the history of basketball um, because it was a it was a foul. Dear, I mean, it was dear, a yeah. it was a foul, but it wasn't a foul that impacted the action and what was going on the court. And in that game, in that situation, I'm not ending a kid's career potentially with 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 that type of call. And that's ultimately what happened. Um, Jerome Tang just just you know you know uh, further showed how much class he has going into that FAU locker room, and unlike Coach K, actually giving them compliments as opposed to being a condescending chotch loser. Um, and, and just a... a we, we, okay, so we have now gotten into the fourth edition. We're assuming at this point that Jeff Rickard, our boss, is not listening to the podcast by this point because with that comment, we were told to remain professional. I am. We have now, we have now strayed away from that to take a... Very heavy shot at Coach K. This is a man that has gone into other locker rooms and condescended his well, see, opponents for beating see, him. See, here's the problem. That's just the fact. Here's the problem. I think you're being a little too critical of Coach K here. I think Coach K would have done it on the floor. He would have done it with the chest pad and explained, uh, young man, here's what you did wrong. Okay, he wouldn't have even he wouldn't have even gotten into the locker room. Let's be real honest about that. So it it was just I mean the the East region the, the East regional semifinal and then the final was fantastic. Florida Atlantic emerges and and, and sets up a, a matchup in the final four against San Diego State that I do think is going to be a lot of fun. Is is it is it bad? Like. I'm not really mad at Florida Atlantic. No, I wanted Kansas. I wanted college basketball to watch those two. Kids. I mean that that team played two of the most entertaining tournament games I have seen in my entire life this weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean it was unbelievable. You're talking about. I mean Marquise Noel. You asked, okay, well, how would he follow up a performance where he had 20 and 19? Well, he just had 30 and 12. It was amazing. I mean, he was 8 of 21 from the field, but he was 5 of 11 from three. Whenever they needed a shot to stay in the game, he, he was the guy that hit the shot because they had you know, two other guys that were in significant foul trouble, including Keontae Johnson who really is 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 his number two guy. Um, I thought, you know, Naquan Tomlin, who I'd pointed out, uh, this dude is he's he's got he's got a screw or two loose. He's a little crazy. Wow. Um but you need that at times on your team. And I thought he played tremendous in that game. But where Florida Atlantic won that game was how well their starters played. Four of their five starters in double figures. They that that was not the way that they had really been playing the entire tournament. They had depended a lot on that bench, and you saw you know really good days. You know John L. Davis was was still very productive in that game, but you know you get Brian Greenlee who had sixteen. You had uh, Elijah Martin with seventeen to lead lead them in scoring and I mean they shot 48 percent from the field more importantly they hit nine threes so that was the difference and and the other thing that they did in this game they just absolutely destroyed Kansas State on the glass they I mean they out they double them up 44 to 22 and that's the sneaky thing about Florida Atlantic is how well they've rebounded in this tournament so 
it's going to be real interesting because Florida Atlantic, you know, we've talked about a few different teams that can sort of play different styles of games and find ways to win. Florida Atlantic has done that throughout this tournament where they have had to play different styles of games in just about every round that they have been in. And no matter what you throw their way, they seem to be ready to counter that. That's why I think that matchup with San Diego State could be incredibly entertaining when those two match up on Saturday. That's a look at the South and the East Regional Finals. When we come back, we'll turn our attention to the Midwest and the West before we get out of this edition of the WFNZ March Madness Show. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, welcome back in. This is the WFNZ March Madness Show. Fiddy and Flounder here with you guys. Two more regions to go through before we do get out of this edition. And we'll start in the Midwest where we saw the five seed, the uh, Miami Hurricanes. They advanced to the 2023 Final Four, their first Final Four in program history. They took down the one seed, Houston, 89-75 to on Friday night in Kansas City. In a game that, you know, I think we all thought Miami had a was a, was a legitimate contender and a threat to beat Houston. I thought they matched up well with them. Um, and you look at just the injuries to to Houston, Mark, um, mainly Marcus Sasser, Walker. You know, he, he was even hobbled up entering this game as well. It was a bad. It was it, it was just a bad recipe for for Houston if Miami was hitting shots. Mm-hmm. And my God, did they hit shot after shot after shot? The way that Miami dissected Houston's defense was like me at a Golden Corral buffet. I mean, it oh was just God. one after another. The way that they just they opened them up and they they nickel and dime them into open look after open look, and this game wasn't even close. When you know you know going down the stretch, I mean, Miami once they really took control of the game on the defensive end of the court. It just fueled their guards, and the thing about them is, you know, in the fi- in the regional final, it was Jordan Miller that was that was carrying them. In this game, I mean, Nigel Pack was great. I mean, it was just an all around. It was arguably the best performance of Miami, maybe the entire tournament. I know they would go on and beat Texas, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But they had to make a comeback in this game, in that game, in this game against Houston. They just took it to them and 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 made one of, if not the best defensive team in the country, look inadequate while they just carved them up to the tune of eighty nine points. Yeah, and I mean, look, they they did. There was a point where it was a neck and neck game. They go on a nine two run right before halftime to establish the lead. They did, you know, they they held that cushion for a while, and then once you got 
past really it was right after the under 12 timeout that was that was pretty much where the game changed yep Miami just completely took over from that point and Houston Houston just didn't have the guys that could make shots you know they lost what was so great about them for the entire year remember this was the number one defensive efficiency team in the entire country coming into this game yep and Miami just could not miss down the stretch and that's what we've known about this team for the entire year it was why there were so many frustrations I think towards the end of the year even though they ended up winning the ACC regular season there were still games at times late in the year where you were like why is this team just not absolutely destroying some of these ACC opponents because you've got a trio of guards that nobody is going to be able to completely shut down and we've seen that in this tournament once again that when these guys are on there just is no way that you're beating this team and and really this was where you started to see these guys officially take over. Look, against Drake, there were moments where it was really ugly. They showed some really good things. And really, the game against Indiana was rather similar to this one in the way that they pulled away in that second half. But this weekend was really where it clicked for this trio. In this game, 26 from Nigel Pack, 20 from Isaiah Wong, 13 from Jordan Miller. And when you're getting that combined with the production that you're seeing from Omir, who, by the way, has been just outstanding on the glass for a guy that's 6'7", too. Like, we're not talking about a guy that is 6'11", 7-foot or taller that's dominating like we were talking about with Kalkbrenner and, and some of those guys. We're talking about a dude that is the size of most threes on many of the teams that were still remaining in the tournament. And yet this guy continues to dominate the glass. That's what's making this team so difficult to play against in this tournament. And now that you've seen these guards sort of get in a rhythm, get hot, we've seen it before in the in the tournament. But now that you've seen all of these guys sort of get hot collectively, Good luck to the other teams that are having to face. Well, now. the thing about them is, is they've just got a they've got a trio of tough shot makers, and that's what I thought was so surprising about the way they scored their eighty nine. If 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 they would have scored their eighty nine because they were hitting contested jumper after contested jumper, still would have been surprised. Mm-hmm. But I'd been like, dude, I've, I've saw I've saw that for the ACC play the last two three years. That that wasn't what happened in this game. This was they just they opened them up, they gutted them like a fish, and when you shoot the ball as well as they shoot guarded, it's going to go to a different level when they're not guarded, and they got clean easy looks. Not going to spend a whole lot of time of Texas and Xavier. That game was over at halftime um, because oh, te- it was early. It was over earlier than that. You know, Texas was yeah. just uh, they were a team on a mission. Great first year for Sean Miller back with that Xavier program. They're going to be a fixture in the second week of the tournament moving forward. Texas, Texas got in that team's head. 
I mean, you saw the one point where I don't remember which player it was that sort of laid a shoulder into Adam Kunkel as they were going to a timeout. And, dude, Kunkel just, like, completely melted down. They had to restrain him and everything. That was just a game where Texas frustrated the hell out of them early. And Xavier, to be honest, was that game not very, very similar to the Big East title game where – Marquette came out, punched him in the mouth, and they just never really had a response. It felt very similar to me that Texas came right out of the gate. They knocked down some shots from the outside, punched him in the mouth, and that was it. There wasn't much that Xavier could do about it because unlike when we saw that earlier in the tournament with Kennesaw State, Texas is a team that just had way too much talent, and I just I, I think once they got in that hole, it was too much to make up. When you look at the regional final, Miami advances 88-81. to They overcome a 13-point deficit in the second half, and, and this is still the most mind-blowing thing. They did it without making a single three-pointer in the second half. This is modern basketball. The, the, the basketball geeks that have ruined the game that I love by wanting you to just shoot three after three after three must have just been sitting there in utter disbelief watching a team shoot what they deem the most inefficient shot in basketball over and over again. But they killed them in the mid-range. And they killed them by getting to their spots on the floor and making shot after shot after shot. And look, I feel really bad for Rodney Terry because and he he he, he was he able just to get got a five year deal so he was able to get the full time job he's all right um this was a guy I wanted to have I wanted to see him in the final four mm-hmm. because yeah. the job he he did with this program when this when when, when these kids could have quit because these kids didn't come to Texas to play for Rodney Terry they came to play for Chris Beard and it all had come together right about the time that Chris Beard's allegations really uh, were, were were brought to light he gets fired and you didn't know what was going to happen to Texas basketball and all they do was win a Big Ten uh, or or a Big Twelve tournament title while but you know throttling Kansas in their backyard and they came to the doorstep of the final four but Jim Laranaga's th- this guy might be the most underrated coach in the country yes when no you no, look- no no there's no might now it is officially yes with what he's done the last two years when, when you look at the job he's done like let's take that for starters just the job he's done but where he's done it at a program that doesn't care about basketball. Despite, you know, the success they've had under him, they've won an ACC regular season title. They've won an ACC tournament. Uh, they've made a Sweet 16 before. They don't care. Now they go to the Final Four, and now they're forcing people to care. And that second half was a coaching clinic. And that's why having a 73-year-old head coach isn't always a bad thing because he's proven he can adapt to he can he can adapt to NIL, he can adapt to the transfer portal. Because when the game got to a point where he had to coach and coach his team to a victory with the Final Four berth on the line, he was able to do that. 17 years to the day that he took George Mason to the Final Four mm-hmm. as the college basketball god shined down upon Jim Laranega and that Miami program. Jim Laranega is what we keep trying to crown Tom Izzo, what at one time we tried to crown Jim Beheim. He is a dude that, at this point, 
just thrives in March. Because when you talk about Izzo and Bayheim, look at the talent that were coming that that was coming into those programs. The this program at Miami, the talent level isn't the same. But what he's done with this program has been unbelievable. Like if there were any questions about this dude being a college basketball Hall of Famer, those should be long gone. This dude should be one of the first guys on the waiting list that should be getting into the Hall of Fame with what he's done. Because as you mentioned, I, I don't I'm I, I think there have been more people probably following Miami basketball than we've probably realized these last few years, but it's because of Jim Laranaga. That's the only reason that People care about basketball at Miami. There was one other stretch under Leonard Hamilton where they had any sort of success before he came there. And now you're talking about a team that legitimately, year in and year out, they probably feel like, hey, we, we've we got a chance to make the second weekend of the tournament. That's To be honest, that's probably the expectation at this point. And in a lot of their minds, it's probably to get it to the Elite Eight or further. Because that is what this team has... I mean, that that's the level that this team has played at to set those expectations. Another thing, talk about... You know, we talk about NIL a lot. Man, I'm going to tell you what. It worked out for this program. Because going out and getting Nigel Pack was a tremendous move. And if this pays off in a national title, that will be the leg that many that support NIL the way it is done right now will stand on. So credit to Jim Laranaga, credit to that NIL group there that did what they had to do to build this program up. But this really is just one of the most entertaining teams right now in college basketball. And that was one of those ones when I picked Drake, when we go back and look, that's one that I regretted almost immediately after picking them. But because I'm the guy that fills out one bracket, which I think is the way that everybody should do it, I said, look, I got to stick with it. That's one where at this point moving forward, you can never doubt Jim Laranega ever again, no matter how his team is playing coming into the NCAA tournament. This is a guy that thrives in this month. And this team is just outstanding. I mean, you had every one of your starters in double figures. Both games that you played this weekend, you shot over 50%. You mentioned they did not hit a three in the second half of the game against Texas. They still shot 59% for the game. The majority of the game, they were shooting over 60% from the field. Yep. That's insanity. You Do you know how good you have to be offensively? Jordan Miller has what they call the Christian Leitner game. Perfect from the field. Perfect from the line. We talked about all the other guards that stepped up. I'll tell you another guy. Wuga Poplar was outstanding in both games this weekend. So they're playing with an extremely small lineup, modern basketball, they're playing an entertaining brand of basketball, and man, this team, they, they are scoring at, at one of the highest levels. That's the thing. When they match up against Connecticut, if there's a team that can score on this Connecticut defense, it might be this team because of the matchups and because of just how well they shot this past weekend. My gosh. When you look at the West, 
UConn emerging. They took down Gonzaga in a blowout in the West Regional Final, which means we can go through this region really, really quickly because UConn also blew out Arkansas 88-65. to <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. There, I really did not. There was one point in the game, I think they led, it was like 61-33. to I knew at the first media timeout the game was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were out at the at the watch party for the Sweet 16 action. Shout out to the Carolina Alehouse for for handling uh, or dealing with us. And I looked at Wes dealing and I with said, us or dealing with you. It was us because I was the okay. best behaved person there. I don't believe that. I, I looked at Wes when it was eight to four and said this game's over. And he was like, "Fifty year trip," and I said, "Nah, they can't. They can't hang." And they couldn't. And they ran Arkansas literally back to Arkansas with the way that they 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 beat them down. Which brings us to the game we're going to focus on the most in this this region: Gonzaga and UCLA. Um, the NCAA tournament committee needs to schedule them to play as frequently as possible moving forward, because all they play is instant classics. And this one may have been the best one yet. Like the 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 one in the final four two years ago was gonna get a lot of hoopla because it was in the final four and Gonzaga was able to preserve their national title hopes, their undefeated season. And of course the shot was at the buzzer. But when you look at everything that went into this game, Gonzaga um, you know, at, at one point they were down forty-six to thirty-three. I, I I didn't see this UCLA offense scoring forty-six points as as easily as they did in the opening stanza of the game. There was at one point where Drew Timmy had more than half of their points oh, man, after they had scored. Tremendous. You know, the, after they had passed the sixty-point threshold, and with that, they had taken a ten-point lead with about two minutes to go, and you would have thought the game was over. Because conventional wisdom will tell you it's hard to mathematically blow a 10-point lead in two minutes. Well, that's what Gonzaga did because this UCLA team, as they have all season long, they fought. And when and when Amari Bailey took the shot and then and gave them the lead, I I, I dude, I, I really thought I really thought they were gonna win the game. I, I, I really thought this thing was going to happen, or when he tied the game. And when and when Gonzaga drew up the Villanova play, um, I didn't even know what to say because that was an unbelievable shot. Oh, that was one of those shots where I and we've all been there where you are saying, "What the hell is he doing?" And in the middle of you saying that, you're like, "Never mind." I, I when he when he pulled up from back there. On the logo, I was like, is he is he serious with this shot? Like, keep in mind that before then, he was 4 of 14 from the field. So not terrible. I well, mean, no. he was the only other guy that was in double figures of their starters. And he was given the green light. The play was not drawn for him to shoot the three. The play yes. was to get him to the rim. and He just did his own thing. Well, no, no Mark Few told him, if you have the shot, take it. I don't think the shot was for him to be taken at 30 feet out. Right. But that's the shot that he got, and my God, that that that's the game of the tournament. I oh, don't know. there's no doubt, because then, how about the fact that then you have UCLA come out and run the same exact play on them? 
to the opposite side of the court, and Tiger Campbell almost makes it. I'll be damned. That that was as close as it gets to going in. That was that was unbelievable. So much credit to UCLA too, because of all the injuries. Like you don't have Bona. That 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 was huge. No, because they expected. I mean, he played in the in the second round game. It seemed like he was going to be, you know, he, he had shaken off the injury that was causing him issues. And then for him not to play in that game, it sort of throws a wrench into everything. I thought Jaime Jaquez was tremendous because he, you know, he was pretty much trying to counter what Drew Timmy did. Those two guys combined in this game, by the way, took 49 of their team shots. Like, that is insanity. But... The way that Amari Bailey played, 19 points, 7 of 13 from the field. Like, this dude, we had questions about him coming into the tournament, about a guy being forced into the starting lineup for the first time all year as a freshman on this stage. I thought he was tremendous. And it sucks because that would have been an amazing story for him if he hits the game-winning shot like that. But then it's you know it's a great story for, for Strother, and it could have been an even better story if that game goes to overtime. You're right, though. These two teams need to be in the same region as often as possible because the last three times that they have met in the tournament have been absolute classics. These teams just they they know how to produce some of the best games in tournament history. You will see all three of the of their matchups in the tournament most recently will be in every highlight package when they preview the NCAA tournament every year moving forward. It's just it's it's outstanding entertainment and yes, unless there is just some unbelievable game in the Final Four, or if the National Championship is just that good, you probably saw the game of the tournament in this one. Yeah, the game that wasn't the, the game that won't be of the tournament will be the final between oh. UConn and Gonzaga. Oh man! Um, and look, the the foul call on Drew Timmy that took him off the floor early in the second half was was brutal. Kind of like the foul that you know that 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 Keontae Johnson got fouled out of the game on. What about the Brock Cunningham foul that kept uh, Norchad O'Meara in the game? Um, that was inc- there were there were so many this week. Like, look, you're talking about one in just about every part of the bracket. Yeah, like it's insanity. So, like when I look at it and say, "Man, that that did that directly impact the res- the outcome of the game?" Yes. Because I think if Drew Timmy is on the floor, they don't lose by 28. Do I think they were winning that game? Hell no. Absolutely not. No. Um, UConn, UConn has returned to November UConn, where they are just, um, how do I say this politely? They're killing teams that they're playing. On both ends of the floor. Their closest margin of victory in this tournament is 15. Yeah, and I mean, it is, I mean, they're on a historic pace right now. Oh, my God. Um, they're they're going to enter the Final Four, the clear cut heavy favorites. Yes. They're, 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 what was it today? Mac, and Mac said it earlier on the show. It was four to five yeah. on the odds for them. You know, and the, the, the thing about them is, <laughs> dude, you hear coaches talk all the time about we want our defense to fuel our offense. That is UConn in a nutshell. They're a really good offensive basketball team. You could almost call them great. But it all starts for them on the defensive end of the floor. Sonogo is just right now a a a 
a handful inside. Calcaterra, you know, Dawkins, all these Jackson, they're making shots left and right from the perimeter. They get, I mean, they've got three-level scores. They do so many different things defensively. And, man, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And they just – I haven't seen a team overwhelm a team like Gonzaga like that in a while. I mean, they thoroughly – they thoroughly kicked their butt. And, you know, I, I thought going in when we got, you know, all the Elite Eight matchups set, I thought that was maybe going to be the best in game of the Elite Eight, just given the, you know, the the coaching matchup, the the player matchup and all that stuff. Yeah. And it was it was it wasn't um but but ta- you know ta- uh, you, you got to tip your cap to UConn. This is a team I picked to make the final four. Like this is the one thing in my bracket I got right. Yeah, you got that right. I got nothing right. But so. I didn't even see this coming from them. I mean, dude, we're talking about a tournament that's produced some of the most legendary games. Like, has there been a day that you've watched, or even just like a time window that you've watched and said, man, that was really disappointing. Bunch of blowouts. No. Who has, who has done the majority of the blowing out in this tournament? That was blowing. a strange phrase. Yeah. yeah, that was a strange phrase. But who has handed out the most? Now, nope, nope, that ain't going to sound right either. I mean, you're talking about Connecticut just dominating every team that they have played. And this one, this may have been their most dominant performance yet. Like, it, it, that is insane to say that with how well they played against Arkansas. And you look at their the way that they played offensively, I mean, no one was really dominant. I mean, Hawkins was, was you know, he had 20 points in the game. The difference in this one was UConn, they hit 11 threes in this game. Yep. They held Gonzaga to two. And Gonzaga just had nothing to counter with on the offensive end of the floor. This team, but as you mentioned, the way they play defensively is... It's just mind-blowing because I did not think there would be any team that would be able to slow down Gonzaga like that. I thought slow night for Gonzaga, they're scoring 65-70. That was not even remotely close to the case. This game was yet another one that at halftime, you knew this game was over. And the one concern that I have for UConn, and we'll talk about this more when we end up previewing the final four games later this week. What are they going to do when they're in a close game? Because they, the closest game that they've really been in in this tournament, was it the first round game against Iona? Early in that second half? Like, since then, they haven't even really been remotely close to anybody. So, that's the one area that I'm... a I'm wondering about, but I mean, this team just looks so like that. There is a reason that they are that heavy of a favorite. They look like that team that we were talking about early in the season was head and shoulders better than everybody else in the country. They went through their midseason lull. Dan Hurley got some stuff fixed, and you talk about a team that just responds to the way that they're that their coach coaches them. I mean, this dude, Danny Hurley coaches his ass off. Literally, this dude probably loses weight the way that he coaches out there. It is unbelievable. And these dudes love it. 
and they've responded well in an in an era where a lot of people say, "Look, man, this is this is a soft era of athletes." Well, the way that he's coaching, sure, sure as hell ain't soft. And these dudes have responded incredibly well. I think it sets up for a tremendous matchup in the Final Four between them and Miami. And I'll tell you this, if San Diego State is the team that emerges on the other side with the way these two teams have been playing defense, do the national championship game might be the first one to 50 wins that thing. Yeah, and it's going to be exciting to see how it all unfolds. And and as Anthony mentioned, we'll be back later in the week. We'll preview the Final Four, then we'll come back next week once the Final Four and the national champion uh, has been determined to put a final bow on the NCAA tournament. And with that, guys, this is going to wrap up the latest edition right here of the WFNZ March Madness Show. In the meantime, guys, we do encourage you guys to to turn on the radio. You can find us on 92.7 FM, or you can find us on the Odyssey or the WFNZ apps from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We're talking Panthers, Hornets, NFL Draft, and, of course, the NCAA Tournament. In the meantime, we'll be back later this week to preview the 2023 Final Four. We want to thank you guys for listening to the WFNZ March Madness Show.